And there are some others that probably I wouldn't include with your main words, but I do think that they have that kind of a judgment element to it, and we'll, we'll, we'll show you how it fits. So several other words to reflect a judgment is at the bottom of page three of your outline, um, behavior that needs to be corrected. And so um, lecture, and it's used of to an appeal to the will to stop certain behavior. And so it's not um, technically judgment, but it's interesting how it's used. Look at first, uh, if you look at Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. One of the things that you see, um, and of this use with the uh, the responsibility is what it actually says is one of the things that the Holy Spirit will do when he he come he comes that he would convince the world of uh, sin, righteousness, and judgment, and it's used in the New Testament sense in Second Timothy chapter four and verse two of one of the things that the pastor teacher is supposed to do. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. So notice in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul is talking to Timothy and he's telling him in Ephesus uh, to execute the responsibilities of his office. And so he says in verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. Now, he's not going to judge those who are fast. This is not a contest here, of, uh, but the, those who are alive <laughs> and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. And so notice this word for reprove and rebuke. And so this word for reprove is, is our word. Uh, here too. It's an appeal to the will of someone to stop certain behavior. So you're seeing things that are going on and you're appealing to the will of that person. Hey, don't do this. But see, this is interesting because in today in our American culture, it's hard for people to, and, and, and you, I bring up the culture because you can see it in the early church that uh, a lot of the churches were affected by the culture that they were in. What the people were doing in the culture affected how believers would see anything at given point, any given point in time. Right. So this is an appeal to the will. And they have in the world system today interventions. Right. When somebody's doing something. So you have that. But it's really hard for people today uh, to have someone confront them. And to say to them, hey, you know this behavior you're doing? It ain't right. Okay, you go out and do that at work and see how, see how far that goes. Right. It's, it's getting harder and harder to actually say to someone, hey, you see this behavior you're doing? Hey, that, that, hey that, that's not what you're supposed to be doing, right? I mean, it's getting harder and harder because... Uh, people feel like they are beyond that. Anyone telling them anything. And so it's a responsibility of the pastor teacher to do that. And then the other word, epi, uh, epitimao, it's a sharp rebuke. And it expresses um, strong disapproval of someone. And so you're basically, it's a little stronger than this word. You're pretty much saying, hey, Man, you're out of line. You are completely out of line. I mean, it, 
we don't, so there's two sides of it. Today, believers don't have the courage to tell people that. And on the other side of it, you have believers don't have the courage to accept it. <laughs> it's two sides of it. It's just, it's a failure in, in all areas. But these ideal of judgment, and so you can see it, look at it, it um, in Jude 1, 9, this word is used of Satan. And so, uh, of uh, Michael, when he was disputing with Satan. And in this instance, Michael did not have the authority to rebuke Satan. And he said, the Lord rebuke you. And so in, in um, Jude, what did I say? Did I say Jude? Yeah, Jude 9, one, well, it's only one chapter, Jude <laughs> 9. Um, and if I can get over there, keep turning to the wrong thing. And so notice in verse 6, he talks about, and we, we talked about it, I think, last week, maybe. Okay, I get confused as to when I talked about this. Maybe it was in the message. And the angels that kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains unto the darkness, unto the judgment of that great day. And so here we have this instance of these spirit beings, these fallen angels that we can prove from Scripture cohabitated with women back in, in Genesis 6 and the primary purpose of Satan doing this is to try to corrupt the gene pool. I believe that's what he, he's, he's always tried to do that, right? And then specifically, he was trying to do this to pre prevent the, um, the prophecy that it was given in the, in the garden from coming to pass. Now notice in verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. <coughs> are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. They despise dominions and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring an, an, against him a rarely accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. And so this idea of to denounce you, and so, in this instance, Michael, and this gives you an, in, uh, an understanding of the authority of Satan, Michael did not, said he didn't have the authority to rebuke Satan. And Michael is the chief angel, right? He's the chief angel. He's the highest angel that there is. Satan is the highest spirit being. And Michael said, I didn't have the authority to rebuke you. But I threw those two in and we'll, we'll see it because there's some other words that play in that are not as critical as these other terms that we talked about. But we'll see some other words on the way through uh, concerning different kinds of judgments uh, that you see in Scripture. So that brings us to our uh, page four of our outline. And so there are various types of judgment to consider in assessing this, is this issue of judgments from Scripture. And so we talked about last week that judgments are important because in order to make a judgment that denotes that there is a standard of behavior that is acceptable, right? And so there's a standard, and then when someone falls uh, below that standard, there is a weighing of the information and saying, hey, you're not meeting this standard. You're off. And that has to happen in a fallen world. If it doesn't happen in a fallen world, guess what? There's chaos. 
there's chaos. Now you'll find it as you look through scripture, judgment, the first judgment came after Adam sinned in the garden. And as we go into the eternity, there's not going to be any, any judgments in eternity. Not, not going to be necessary. I believe you can see in scripture that these judgments are a result of the fallen nature of man. And so you'll see as we go through, it's going to take a person who is seeing things in the right way to make proper judgments. And it takes courage. Because people don't want to tell the truth about what they see. That was a, you know, some trials that they, you know, questioned whether the jurors were going to come to the right decision, right? Because they were intimidated. Can I, am I going to tell the truth because what, of what people think? Well, you see that in the church. You see it in your own personal lives, right? No one wants to tell the truth because they're scared of what someone is going to say, what the response is going to be, right? So that's where we get political correctness from today, right? In the society, political correctness. You're not supposed to say this. And when you say it, well, you're not supposed to say that. And everyone's shocked. That's not supposed to be said. Right? You have to have the courage to know, particularly among believers, I don't care how the response is going to be. I only care about what's true. I only care about what's true. Then I can say that. And I also, I would like to hope that I'm only caring about what's true if somebody says something to me. <laughs> As well, right? <laughs> you know, it's interesting how that happens. But there are various types of judgments to consider. So there's the judgments that you see in Scripture that God renders. And then there's judgments that you see in Scripture where he uses men to render judgment. Right? And so here's uh, several of them that you see with regard to God. And so um, we'll deal with John 16, 11 down the line. But you can see that Satan was judged on the cross. And so you say, well, how is that? If Satan was judged, then how is he still running loose? Well, we'll see that God judged Satan on the cross. But, you know, there's people uh, in our society that are sitting on death row. I mean, they've already been judged. Some of them have been sitting there so long, the family members forgot what happened. <laughs> I mean, they don't even remember what happened. Yeah. And so this is how it is. But their sentence has yet to be executed. And that's what's happening with Satan. And we'll look at that a little bit down the line. But notice if you turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. Um, Peter is reminding the believers that God intervenes in time at, and has intervened at time to judge different situations in the history of mankind. And I think he's doing that to remind these believers that God will judge those people who are unrighteous. That he's going to judge them. And we, as, as you stand in the middle of history, it looks like wicked people get away with things. Right? And, he's, and this is what was happening there. These believers were suffering as a result of the persecution from Nero. And Peter wanted to remind them, hey, God's intervened in time before. And he always intervenes to rescue those who belong to him. And so we'll pick it up in 2 Peter chapter 2 and notice in verse 4. Oh, we'll start with one just to get some context. 
but there were false prophets among the people. Now notice the distinction that is made here. This, this phrase, the people, is often used in the New Testament of the nation of Israel. Prophets among, false prophets among Israel, false teachers among you. And who is he talking to? The church. There's not any false prophets today. Well, they may call themselves prophets. I guess they are false prophets. <laughs> but nobody really, anybody with any sense knows that there's no such thing. <laughs> right? About like saying people who dress up as Santa Claus today. Right? Yeah, be careful. <laughs> right? Same, right. There will be false teachers among you who will privily bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of the truth shall be evil spoken of. And I, and I translated that the truth because that's how it's translated. And through covetousness shall they make uh, with feign words. Um, it's interesting that word feign is plastic words, words that they mold and shape. And this is what you see with people who are very manipulative. They can mold and shape words to fit whatever it, is it takes to be able to uh, capture your attention. They can change and fabricate words in order to be able to meet what it is they're trying to get accomplished. They would feign words. They make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbers not. And now here he goes into all of these times when God intervened in time to judge Right off the bat, verse 4. If God spared not the angels that sinned. Now, there's a lot of people that have a fit. If you tell them that the angels in Genesis, that what happened in Genesis 6 was angels cohabitating with women. I've heard good men almost have a stroke uh, listening to people say that and, and trying to, to disregard that, right? When there's so much scriptural evidence for it, right? Very interesting on that issue right there. The world wants to believe that for sci-fi reasons. Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of renewed interest in that. Believers are the ones substantially shunning. But I, I think that that's why the world, the believers reject it because the world accepts it. So the world believes today that a lot of your... Um, um, a lot of your knowledge that is out there today and technology it came from aliens mm -hmm. who came down and handed it down to men and that this is how they are justifying the gap in knowledge between where we were in um, the, the Egypt and, and now. And so they got all of this fanciful information. But I never, and I don't think we ought to judge things on the basis of the fact that somebody else believe it, you judge things on the basis of the fact that can you prove it to be true from Scripture? Right? That's the thing. And so you got people that if you tell them that this is the case, and here we have, lo and behold, scriptural evidence in the New Testament that proves that this was the case, and they just refuse to believe it. It's just the most fascinating thing. And so here you have it, right here, right before us, verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, well, when did they sin? When? And cast them down to, notice hell. The word hell there is actually Tartarus. And so you're looking at Hades, and that on the side of Hades are what is called the pits, and there's a certain compartment that was reserved for these angels. 
Now, it's not all of them because we see that there's still demons today, right? Well, hold your finger there. I just can't help it. <laughs> uh, look at uh, 1 Peter 3. And you can just put this together. It's so simple to see. When, when, when you let scripture uh, say what it says and, and you don't have a dog in the fight, I mean, it, it, just, it just says what it says. So here you have in verse 18, the Lord goes down while his body's in the grave. He goes down to Hades and he preaches a message. And I've often said, boy, wouldn't it be great if we had this message? Yeah. I really want to know what did he say? Yeah. He went down and he said something to these spirit beings. Watch this. Verse 18, for Christ also once suffered for sins that the just, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit by which also he went and he preached unto the spirits in prison. Now, isn't that what we just saw over in Second uh, Peter? That there are angels that are in, uh, uh, imprisoned, right? I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but let's keep reading. We'll find out. Which sometime were disobedient. Oh, now we're going to find out when they were disobedient. When once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Well, well, that's not enough. Well, let's turn over to Jude. Let's turn over to Jude. It's just so easy to see. And, and again, it, when you get to the point where you have a dog in the fight, then it's just really hard to see things the way that they really are. And so um, you, you see uh, this other thing here in verse six of Jude. We just read it. These angels which kept not their first estate are their It's really their way of habitation. So you get more information. That they didn't have, they did not keep or guard their habitation. Well, what were they doing? They were taking on human bodies, which angels could do, and doing things with these human bodies they didn't have the authority to do. Now, if you understand this, it will make Genesis 6 and understanding Genesis 6 completely different than you've ever understood it. And so people will say, well, that was violence on the earth and people fighting each other. Oh, no, no, it was more than that. It was more than that. And just to you know, uh, say that there was violence and fighting going on, you missed the whole point of what ha what's happening in that chapter. And so they left, their, not their first estate, but um, are reserved, where? In everlasting chains of darkness until the judgment of the great day. You see, they are right now in, uh, held captive in Tartarus, awaiting judgment. They did it before the flood. They did it only after the flood. That group of angels got took off the market and said, you're not doing that anymore. And they're now held captive in Tartarus at this time. And so this is what Peter is talking about, going back to the fourth verse of the second chapter. For if God spared not the angels that sinned. But he cast them down to, really that word for hell is actually the uh, classical Greek name for Tartarus. And he delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And notice, here's another thing. And he spared not the ancient world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, 
bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So now we see God intervening in time and God judging. I mean, we could see it and there's a multitude of, of places that we could show you where God has intervened in time and brought judgment. Notice verse six and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And so you have people. It's funny. You listen to some of these people who are into this movement. They, they become very dispensational. I've actually heard gay people that said that was back in the Old Testament. <laughs> <laughs> But notice here what Peter says, that he's made that as a graphic example or a type that this behavior God does not tolerate. He doesn't tolerate it. And notice in verse 7, now he looks at the fact of he delivered just Lot. And notice Lot was a righteous guy. And so you see this, so you have records, scriptural records in which you see God intervene in time, and he makes judgments. Now, these particular judgments were significant. So you have what was happening with the angels that were sinning. You have what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. This is significant when you see God stepping into time and actually rendering judgment. And you say, well, I wish you'd do that today. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great? Yeah, well, I think it would be, but we'll have to wait until the end of the tribulation period, and you're going to see that happen. Um, and so, the Scripture records judgments that God made upon men. Uh, on, so those were on, on spirit beings. So Satan was judged at the cross, and then you have him judging angels. And now you see Scripture records judgments that God made upon men. And so in that same chapter, in verse 5, you see the, um, the, the uh, ancient world, and then notice 6, Sodom and Gomorrah. And then there are judgments that are made by men. And what we see a whole lot of, particularly in this dispensation, is that God is using men to make judgments. Right. So he's using, um, say, as we will see it when we get to this dispensation, he's using government to make judgments. And um, among the church and those who are believers, he's using believers to make judgment about each other. And we'll see how that works out. And I, I've always said, <clears throat> so there's a process, and we'll see it when we get to um, talking about the church, in which God allows for this. And we'll see it as we go down the line. God allows first for the believer to judge himself. I should look at myself, examine myself to see what's going on in my life. And I'm afraid that what happens most of the time with most believers is they're not paying, they're not even, their minds are not even engaged. They're not taking a healthy judgment or weighing of themselves to see where they're at relative to where I should be, right? And so if I am not doing that and I don't judge myself, let's just say that there's things that are involved, I'm involved with from the sin nature. And so now my sin nature is out of control. And now that becomes a problematic to the church and say that spills over into the church. So now the church is supposed to judge me. It's what we're going to see. But you know, there's no judgment going on in churches today. I see very little of it. It used to be when I was growing up, 
if someone was in, say, an adulterous relationship, the church wouldn't tolerate that. They would call the person out on it. But now you have people in the church who are in adulterous relationships. You have people who are in situations that are just totally against what Scripture says. Nobody says a peep. Not a word said. So let's just say, though, the church then judges me and they come to me and say, Kevin, you know, you are into some things that you have no business uh, being involved in. And here scripture says you shouldn't do this. You need to stop it. And what if I tell them, hey, get out of my face. You can't tell me what to do. Then the church is supposed to say, "Okay, you just go on out. We're going to put you out. You can do that, but you're not going to do it here. And now God allows Guess who? Satan to judge me. Now, after Satan gets through with you, you would have rather that you started right over here. Because once God removes his protection and allows Satan to do what he does to you, the end result is, is that you would have wished that it would have been the other way around. And that happens. And so God is allowing men to judge. And we'll see when we get to this dispensation The church has a great role in judgment, great role in judgment, that it's abdicating. And this this I think is one of the reasons why no one has respect for the church, because there's just as much going on in the church as there is outside the church. In a lot of instances, unfortunately. So there are judgments made by men. And so scripture judge, um, records di- different judgments of situations made by men in which there are certain decisions as you see things happening where you, you make certain judgments about them. And then you see scripture records the self-judgment as we, we showed you. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get to the self-judgment because this is a really important thing. It's not that you're weighing, your, you're judging yourself for the purpose of be, you know, beating yourself up. But you have to be accurate about where you are at any given point in time. If you're not making an accurate measurement of where I am relative to where I should be, according to what Scripture says, and my my maturation process, what am I doing? You know, you and I can fool ourselves. We can get to the point where we fool ourselves. And well, some people are not even fooling themselves and not even looking. <laughs> you know, and so and it can become problematic. And then um, scripture records the judgments made of others. And so you have and we'll look at this because what there's certain kind of judgments that we make of others. And really in the church, we'll see. Well, we'll start with when we get to Corinthians, we'll see that um, the church's responsibility that we actually don't have the authority to judge the world. Do you realize that? That we've not been given that authority. And so all kinds of crazy behaviors is going on in the world and we'll see our relationship to it. We're not we've not been given the authority to go out into the world and pronounce judgment on the world because of these behaviors. And this is so foreign to what people are thinking today. I look at a lot of different things, uh, particularly as I see things, this political thing is getting kind of weird. Because you have people who believe that they want to pronounce judgment on the world in order to be able to extract what they want from the world. 
right? And so you see that happening aplenty in the world, and it's not the responsibility of the church. That's not the church's role. I told somebody a few weeks ago, they were wanting, um, talking about whether churches should be involved in this, and I said, the church doesn't have the ability to do that. It's not how it functioned. It was not put here to function that way. And so, uh, you know, you, a lot of people don't see it that way. And then you have the issue of uh, how, what judgment then? So in the church, there's judgment. And we'll see that we don't judge hypocritically. I shouldn't judge you about something and I'm doing the same thing, Right. I shouldn't. And how, how often does that happen? Oh, well, you just don't know about brother so-and-so. <laughs> I got there. Oh, you're doing the same thing. <laughs> right? And then we'll see that you don't, you don't judge um, the motives of people. And this is a huge thing today. Not only in the church, but also in the world. And so this issue of motives, and we'll see it when we get to 1 Corinthians 4, is assigning why you believe people are behaving the way that they're, they're behaving. And as I said, that's really a hard thing to do. You don't really know, and we can show you scripture, you cannot know what another person is thinking. You might be able to surmise. Maybe you might be 80% sure. You got all the body language experts, they're sure what you're thinking. They can tell you exactly what you're thinking. <coughs> And they don't, they don't really know. And so you don't judge someone else's motives of why they did what they did or why they determined to do one thing or the other. And as I always say, I, I don't always understand my own motives. So if you want to judge mine, maybe you can help me out. <laughs> I don't always know why I do the things I do. Maybe you know. <laughs> you can help me with it. Um, but God, God's going to determine that. And so you have judgments from God. You have judgments that are made by men. Now, notice the purpose of judgment is identified in Scripture. Judgment is necessary, you see. One of the purposes of judgment that you see is for the punishment of sin. It's for the punishment of sin. Now, <laughs> there's a reason as to why but I don't believe that we're given to judge the world, because if you're going to be punishing sin, well, you'd have to have the infrastructure to be able to do it. And, boy, you'd be working overtime. <laughs> judgment going on everywhere. God's going to judge those people. And we're going to see at the great white throne judgment, all of these people who did not want to be judged, you see them over in the 20th chapter of Revelation, and they're standing before the great white throne, and every one of them are going to be judged. The destination of where they're going is not in doubt. They're all going to hell. The only question is going to be at that great white throne judgment, what are they going to get? Because they're going to be judged according to their works. And as we've said before, God is not going to give some uh, grandmotherly type who just refused to believe the same thing that she would give, he would give Al Capone. People are going to be judged according to their works. And they're going to get it according to their works. And so you see it in the judgment of Adam. Notice in Genesis chapter 3 and verse, uh, we'll pick it up at verse 13 through 19. 
Genesis chapter 3, verses, um, we'll pick it up at verse 13. So you know what happened here in uh, the garden. And uh, well, let's just start with verse 1 and we'll read down. And so, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord the God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree uh, in the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knoweth that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as God, knowing good, from evil. And so this idea of um, um, good, that, that which is uh, told, that which is beneficial versus that which is, is, uh, brings calamity. Verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit of, and she did eat and gave it also to her husband with her, and he did eat. So now you have this inner place where Eve was the one that actually took of the tree. But Adam, what's interesting is that God judged Adam as being the one who sinned. Adam sinned, Eve transgressed. And there's a lot that you can, you can understand there. And so Adam was the one that was told by God what he desired. Eve, I believe, got it secondhand, and I think that's the difference. Where you never see that Eve is is um, Eve is accounted to have sinned. Not one time will you see that said about Eve. It said that she transgressed, and so transgression is what when you transgress, there is a um, a law that says don't do this or else, and you step over that line. And once you step over that line, you have transgressed. You've stepped over a line. And so Adam did both. He transgressed, and he also will see that he's also accounted to have sinned. And so notice, and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, and um, because I was naked. And I, the word hid is interesting because it said he concealed himself. So what was happening here is that they didn't, uh, you know, you have the old story we got in Sunday school that they had fig leaves and they were running around and this kind of thing. But what happened was, I believe that they were made in the image of God and they, they had a glory that replicated that. And when they, they, when Adam sinned, they lost that glory. That glory was not in evidence any, any longer, and I believe that that's what they, re, they were reacting to here. And so notice he says, verse 11, and he says, Who told thee that you were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree where I commanded thee that thou should not eat? And the, um, the man said, 
the woman, or really it's Adam says, the woman that thou gave to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And so, what are you to say about that? <laughs> men, men are still using that today. <laughs> she did it. And notice, this is like a little soap opera here because everybody starts blaming everybody else. And notice in verse 13, and the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me. <laughs> you know, it's interesting here what she says, because how does she see it versus how you get to the New Testament um, uh, commentary on it in Second Corinthians and also in Second Timothy. And it talks about the fact that she was deceived. But this word Nasa uh, here means that the, the serpent gave me false hopes. What? Gave me false hopes. False hope, yeah. That she, he tricked me. He, he tricked me. He gave me, he led me to think something was going to be one way, and it wasn't. And you, you can see this honestly a lot with Satan, is that that's what he does. I mean, and you can really see it a lot. And so notice verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all the cattle and above every beast of the field upon the, thy belly shalt thou go and the dust uh, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And it or really he <coughs> shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, I believe this Satan's. He heard this, and I believe this is the key to what you see happening in Genesis 6. I really do. And so you see that he tries to pervert the gene pool, and I believe he's trying to keep this from happening. Notice in verse 16, and unto the woman, he says, I will greatly multiply thy sorrows. Um, and so this idea of uh, this pain or hurt. And thy in thy and thy conceptions and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and uh, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall uh, what mar- rule is marshal over thee, that he shall rule over thee. You know, and there is a dynamic that it's just really people don't understand. Women have a natural desire for their husbands. And no matter how much they try to shut it down, you can't shut it down. You can't shut it down. And even some of the, I think some of these women, these ardent feminists, are frustrated because they keep trying to shut it down. And they can't. And it just makes them angrier. <laughs> and they just can't let it go. <laughs> and so it's really an interesting thing. But you see this judgment? And so here's the first judgment that we see coming off the pages of scripture and it's in the garden and it's the judgment that is rendered here concerning Adam's sin and what happens. And then you see this um, uh, judgment um, as a punishment for sin with regard to Israel's judgment uh, of the serpents. Notice in Numbers 21, 7, uh, 21 in verse 1. And so as we jump over into law, God is judging Israel uh, because of their uh, idolatry and such, and uh, it's really interesting here because all they had to do was to. Um, he told Moses to put this bronze serpent 
up and, and all the ones that were, were uh, being injured, all they had to do was look up to the serpent. And everyone that looked up to the serpent, that if they looked up, that they would be healed from this. And here you see the stubbornness of the people. They were too stubborn to even want to do that. And so notice verse 1, chapter 21. And when King Arad, the Canaanite, which dwelled in the south, heard tell that Israel had came by the way of the spies, he fought against Israel and took some of the prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people unto my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened unto the voice of Israel and delivered them up, uh, delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Hormah. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Now, every time I read about Moses, it makes pastoring seem so easy. <laughs> it's so easy because you had this mixed multitude of people that were driven by their souls. And, you know, it doesn't matter what God did, what miracle God did for many of them. You know, that was just old news. It's on to the next um, complaint. And so notice he says here, wherefore, have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. Our soul loathes this like bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he shall take away the serpents. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent and set it up on a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten when he, is, when he looks upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and he put it up on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he healed the serpent the brass, uh, of brass, he lived. And so you see that happen. And so here's a, a different kind of judgments in which you see God intervenes and he judges people because of sin. And we can see many more of those in scripture. Um, you see that judgment was used as a result of correcting behavior. To correct behavior. Now notice in Judges chapter 2 and verse 11 through 13, uh, to 18. Judges. Now, notice in 11, we see again, and the children of Israel did sin and in the sight of the Lord and serve Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which they brought out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people round, which were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. Now, this is really interesting because when you look back at Israel, you have a lot of people who want to duplicate Israel. And do you know that they were just a bunch of idolaters? They really never did what God wanted them to do. They were constantly judged because of their sins. And we have this in Acts 15 at the first council of the church. Um, in Acts chapter 15, when they were questioning 
what to do about the Gentiles. And, and Peter rose up and he says, Why do you want to put the Gentiles under a yoke of bondage that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear? The Jews never observed the law. They didn't do it. It's funny when you hear people today who just think the law is just a great thing and I want to live by the Ten Commandments, and you immediately know that they're not doing it. And so here you see it. It's just, it was a persistent thing with them. Verse 13, and they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not uh, no longer uh, stand before uh, their enemies. Uh, and we're going to 18. Whether, whether so, uh, they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. And the Lord said, and as the Lord has sworn unto them, they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hands of those uh, that spoiled them. And yet they would not hearken unto the judges, but they went a whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them, which turned quickly out of the way, which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord. But they did not so. And when the Lord raised up the judges, of, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hands of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And so this was a persistent thing you see with Israel. Another thing that you see in Scripture is that judgment was necessary to render punishment. Now, notice um, here in Acts chapter 26, uh, you see this. Paul talks about the fact of him being um, in this process of being judged uh, in Acts chapter 26. So when you see the Apostle Paul, um, a lot of the things that he suffered and he went through, God had um, prepared that to happen uh, uh, for him. Uh, and so notice here he is, he's standing before Agrippa and he's going to tell Agrippa that I was the one that was given by God to give a defense. Right. And so it's interesting that you, when you see that word that is used, because it is actually you see it used of the word apologetics. Right. Paul was given to give an apologetics. He didn't say the church. So now you have this whole construct of apologetics in which all it is is arguing with secular people and debate, which I believe is a complete waste of time. And we, it's not that the believer doesn't give an apologetic, and we've seen it, that word used one time of the believer, and we've given specific instruction of when that is to happen. First Peter 3.15, set aside Jesus as Lord in your heart and always be willing to, the one, to give an answer. That word answer, apologia. A defense to the one, notice it's limited here, to the one who asked you. Now, I believe Paul was the one that was given to give an apologetic, and that's why he spoke before kings and before Gentiles. And this is what you see here in, in Acts chapter 26. Then Agrippa said, verse 1, unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched forth his hands, and he answered for himself, I think myself happy. Um, see, we're going to six. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things wherefore I am accused of the Jews. 
especially because I know thee to be an expert in all the customs and the questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. Now, just as an aside here, the, the uh, Agrippa and all of these rulers in uh, the Roman Empire were, were perverts. And Paul doesn't sit up and say to Agrippa, oh, by the way, you're married to your sister. And that's against the, <laughs> God's going to get you for that. He doesn't even bring that up. See, we would bring that up today if we were dealing in the world. He doesn't even say that. And there were many instances in dealing with the Herodians. These people were, they make some of these people in the world today look like angels. These people were deviant. They took deviancy to the lowest form. Well, go study history. You see it. These people in the Roman Empire back then were some of the worst form of people. We haven't reached that point yet. <laughs> so, but it just strikes me that Paul doesn't even bring that up in this conversation as he's talking to him. Well, he does with Felix. Remember when he when he, he was talking to Felix and he talked to him about righteousness and judgment to come, and it says that. Felix trembled. <laughs> he says, I'll hear you later on these matters. <laughs> Notice he says, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of the religion, I have uh, lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am and really, it's an idea of being judged. Now, I think this is a continual thing that he's going through. There's no sentence that has been rendered yet. Uh, but he's going through this process. Notice he, start, he started first with Felix. And then he goes on to, excuse me, Festus. And he goes to Felix. And now he's before Agrippa. And he's going to Caesar. Being judged for the hope of the promise being made of God unto our fathers. And then he goes on and continues uh, that. And so uh, and so he's going through this process and and what was necessary at the end of it was to render a judgment. Interesting, at the end of this chapter, after Felix, after Agrippa hears him, what does he say? This man has done nothing worthy of death. He listened to what he had to say and he says, this guy has done nothing worthy of death. He really could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Right? And so they had weighed what was happening in the situation, listened to Paul's accusers, and they said, Meh, this guy's not doing anything. This is, and most of the time they knew that these people were doing things that, out of jealousy or, or out of fights over their own religion and questions about their own religion and such. And, uh, and, and so uh, notice here the issue there is that he was to, to render a judgment. And notice judgment is necessary to resolve disputes among men um, that were... Um, Let's look at it regarding the church here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. So <clears throat> we'll look at this and we won't linger on it because we'll come back to it. Oh, I'm running out of time here. This will be the last thing that we deal with. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. So we talked about the importance of there being judgment in the church. And so there are matters that the church has responsibility to judge. Do you know, and we'll see it when we get here, that you, if you have a, a spat with another believer, even if they don't go to your particular church, you should never take another believer to court if you know them to be a believer. 
should never take another believer to court. There's really a lot of things that the church, God has given to the church the responsibility of being able to judge between matters of believers. And so notice here he says, and we'll introduce it here, we won't have time to finish it, we'll, we'll come back and pick it up. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Right? I think that's what he's talking about, right? Well, let's continue to read and we'll see. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world should be judged by you, are you not worthy to judge the smallest matters? We'll stop right there and we'll come back. But here we'll see. You and I are going to judge with Christ these angels that sinned. We're going to judge the world. We're going to be right there at the great white throne judgment with him. And you mean to tell me that we could, we're going to judge the matters concerning eternal matters? The destiny of men, but we can't judge between issues in this life. There was a fella that went to um, our church one time, and he, and he had a spat with this woman in the church. And we tried to get them together and tried to help resolve it. And this guy, he told us, uh, Jeanette might remember this, <laughs> she was here for this unseemingly occasion, that we had no, no, we had no standing in this matters. He had, he had hired this woman to work with him. The woman made an accusation that he was doing unseemly things on his job. I don't know what he was doing. All we wanted to do was just sit down and talk to see what was going on. But he says, "Oh, you have no right to tell me. I, we're not trying to tell you what to do. We're trying to find out how we can help resolve this issue with you." And he stormed off. And I felt led to tell him this, you know, you can run from this situation, but you still have a responsibility to this other saint, no matter where you go. And it ain't going to be, you can run away if you want to, but it's still unresolved. And so you have these kind of things and we're going to see it that in the church, that one of the things, the, the, um, the things that we're going to see when it comes to the church is that. One of the opportunities of judgment with believers is to resolve disputes among saints. You and I can do that. We can do that, can't we, Cindy? <laughs> All right.